Welcome to the Encounter Church Message Podcast, where we bring you the latest messages from our Sunday services. To find out more about Encounter or to plan your visit with us, you can find us online at www.encounter.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, well, I've entitled today's message, Fully Lit. Fully Lit. And you might be thinking, you know, I'm a bit of a hipster kind of cool guy and, and you know, fully lit's that kind of one of those words that's in at the moment. You know, when young people, something's good, they go, it's fully lit. <laughs> Pastor Robert, your word is fully lit. Okay? So fully lit means it's just, it's good, it's great, it's, it's shining, it's, 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 it's happening. Well, that's my interpretation of it. And so today I want to talk about passion. I want to talk about many things, but God is passionate. You know, the reason we have passion for the rugby or sport or, or whatever it may be or the AFL is, is because there's a passion in us. You were created with a passion because you were created by God and God is passionate. We don't often think of God as being passionate, do we? But he's passionate. He's creative. There's fire in his spirit. He's passionate about you. He's passionate about his children. And whether you know him or not today or you don't even believe he exists or not, he believes in you. And he's passionate about you. Just as you're passionate about your children, he's passionate about his children. How passionate is he? Well, he sent himself in the form of a man called Jesus to die upon a cross and suffer for you, to take your place and your punishment so that you could be set free, that you could live for eternity. That's how passionate he is about you, that he rescued you. That's just the ultimate passion. You know, he's passionate about his creation. He's, crea- he's passionate about the earth, you know. I'm not a greenie in any way, and if you are, that's great. I don't mean that in a derogatory term. But God's passionate about the earth. He's so passionate about creation that, you know, you know when you're an artist, I'm not, they, you take pride in what you create. You're detailed in it. Whether you've done a painting or whether you've created a table or some carpentry, you're pro- you're pro- you've got pride about what you did, and, 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 and the, the detail you put in it shows the value you have. But if we look at the earth and the stars and the galaxies and we look at trees and flowers and the cells and, and the stars and the moon and the earth and it's, it's like a clock and God's put so much detail into every little bit of this creation of the earth and he's painted giraffes and zebras and cheetahs with all these colours. He loves his creation. He's passionate. And he's a creative God. He's, sometimes we, we see God through the lenses of, a, of an old traditional church. But that's not a representative God. The, the earth is a representation of, of God. And the galaxies is this, this incredible creative genius of passion and, and love and fire. And, and that's who he is. And he's passionate about the church. He created the church. He invented the church. He sent his son Jesus to be the head of the church. You know, and I don't have a problem with people who aren't Christians criticizing the church. But when Christians criticize the church, or they don't go to church because they don't believe in the church... I think God is je- he's a jealous God. He's passionate about his house, about his church. He invented it. It's his purpose and its will on the earth. And, and so we should cherish the things that he's passionate about. I wonder what he thinks when we don't love his church and we love his house and we criticize it. I think it, it wounds his spirit. He's passionate about his kingdom. He has a kingdom that is eternal, that will last forever. And he's passionate about that. Look at sunsets and stars. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. I just, it just lets me see that the character of God really is, is, is to look at those things. 
And as I look around the room, there's, there's different cultures represented here today. There's different colours, whether we're white, we're black, we've got blue eyes or brown eyes or green eyes or, or, or whatever, you know, coloured hair, whether we're blonde hair or red. God is, our cultures are a reflection of, of God. It's the diversity that, that exists in humanity is a reflection of the colour of God and, and his creativeness. You know, there's cultures that express emotions very different, isn't there? Like you've got those cultures like the Latin, any Latin, South American, Spanish type cultures here today? They mustn't be because they'd be yelling right now going, Woo! you know, they're passionate, aren't they? You, you watch them talking and, and they're yelling and their hands are going everywhere and their facial expressions and, and you think they're arguing, but they're just asking for coffee. You know what I mean? They just, they just, just want, I just want coffee, but they're just so animated. I often think maybe there's a, a bit of Latino in me. The reason I'm passionate and talk like this, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm probably more of a romantic, like Latin um, lover, aren't I? That, that's, that's, that's probably, that's what I like to think, okay? That's what I like to think. So I'm going to hold to that because it, it just is a good image in my mind of who I really am. But different cultures live life differently. We went to Italy um, last year, and I, I want to be another race or. or nation. I, I think I like to be Italian. I really do. I was so impressed. They're like a race of supermodels, aren't they? You go to, we went to the north of Italy and, and you know, there's people of all, you know, that connects to um, other parts of, of Europe and that part of Italy didn't used to be part of Italy. So there's people with blonde hair and fair skin and, and they just thought we were Italian. Like they just, and we were Aussies, but we looked Italian in, in that p- part of the world. And they just dress so amazing. Like everybody's like, designer labels and even the old men don't have old men glasses they they have designer glasses like they're the best dressed looking people on earth i reckon anyway i was impressed you can tell but they live a life different they they sit in coffee shops all afternoon and and drink lattes and aperol spritz in the sun and i I don't know if they work or have jobs but gee it's a good lifestyle (laughs) it's i could do that and then they 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 have a bit of a sleep in the afternoon and at nine o'clock at night they all start coming out with their kids they all go outside to restaurants, they're outside restaurants, and grandma's there. All the generations are there each night eating out. I don't know the kids have school the next day, but like they do it from nine to like midnight. But they, they celebrate life, and, and they, they don't work the nine to five kind of perspective that we have, which, which is different. It's not wrong, it's different. You know, we often in Australia, a lot of us have that traditional British kind of background, don't we, some of us? And and um, Anglo-Saxon, where we kind of got a, we, we can't show emotions. Like some of you are looking at me now and going, Pastor Robbie, just take it back a bit inside. Like this is, you, you know, you're a bit vulnerable here letting your emotions out. We, we want to have that stiff upper lip, don't we? It's like, don't let emotions out. It's got to stay inside. That's how real men are. But that's a cultural kind of thing. I, mean, I don't think God's like that. See, when we pledge allegiance to his throne, to his kingdom, no matter who we are in this room, no matter what our background, no matter what our nationality, we no longer are different nationalities. We are actually one kingdom. We are all one. See, in Jesus, when we pledge our allegiance to him, the Bible says there's no black or white or male or female or or, 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 all these things. We are one in Jesus. See, the common denominator of humanity is when we pledge allegiance to his kingdom, we become citizens of that kingdom. And so today we are here as one family. One nation, one brothers and sisters, all together connected in Christ. And God wants to see your passion come out. 
He wants to see creativity flow out of you. He wants to see you the uniqueness of the giftings that are on you to flow out of you. And that's what growth track's about, identifying giftings that God has placed within you. And there's a scripture here that I'm going to read, which is like a signature scripture for this church, Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Jesus said, you, he's not talking about himself, he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. A, a city on a hill can't be hidden because it's up on the hill. And other, a city on a hill should not be hidden. Your life, God says, is like a city on a hill. It should not be hidden. It cannot be hidden. His purpose and desire for you is that the light of who you are, the giftings, uniqueness of who he's created you to be, would to shine. You know, when we hide it and we pull back and we cover it and we don't want to let it go, we're actually denying God the glory that he's due. Because he wants you to be the best you that you can be. Nor do they... Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And he gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father is in heaven. See, God's outcome for your life is that you would shine, you would be who you're meant to be, and it would bring glory to his name. My first point for those taking notes is it starts with your heart. Ooh starts with your heart. See, the Bible says that out of the heart flow the issues of life. It's like the core of who we are. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I want to look at a, a story today in the Bible of King David. And King David, if you've never heard of it, he's the guy that slew that giant called Goliath. You may have heard of that. And we got this situation here where the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, they wanted a king. They wanted to be like everybody else. We don't have a king. That kingdom over there, they have a kingdom. That nation there, they have a king, sorry. That place, they have a king. This whole world have kings, but we don't have a king. They wanted to be according to the standard of the world and have their own king. And God says, hey, I'm your king. You don't need a king. No, we want a king. And he goes, okay, I'll give you a king that's the typical standard of what a king should be. You want a king like everybody else? You want to be according to this world's standards? Okay, here's a king. So he gave them a guy called Saul. The Bible says that he was head and shoulders above everybody. So he was tall. He looked like a king. He spoke like a king. He looked like somebody people would follow. He looked like somebody that had authority because he was a king according to this world's standards. But he didn't work out. It wasn't good for the nation. So God says, okay, we've done it your way. Now we're going to do it my way. I'm going to choose a new king, and he's going to be a king that I choose. He's going to be a king that's, that's after my own heart. And we're going to take up the story here. And what happens is there's a guy called Samuel who's a prophet. And God says to him, I want you to go to Bethlehem, to Jesse, and I'm going to get you to anoint one of his sons as the king. One of his sons as the king. They weren't going to be king straight away, but they would be king in the right time. So Samuel goes to Jesse's home. Now, you've got to picture this. Samuel basically was in charge of Israel before Saul. Other than Saul, Samuel is the kingpin. He's a person, he's a celebrity, like, and they feared him. He, he, he was a man of authority, he was a prophet, but when he came to Jesse's house, the whole town knew about it. Like, it wasn't a secret thing. This was like a big festival. This was a, a thing of honor. So for Jesse and his brothers, Jesse and his sons to, to have Samuel was like this huge event. It's like maybe um, Donald Trump coming to Shepparton. You know, let's just use that as an example. I knew there's a few Trump supporters here, so I threw that out there, but whatever. Um, it, it was a big 
big deal. And there was this massive feast where there would have been like paparazzi taking photos and there would, have, there would have been like bodyguards everywhere. Like this was a huge event. All the dignitaries of Bethlehem would have been invited and everyone would have, be, would have been the place to be. And so Samuel comes to Jesse's house and we'll take it up with 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 to 7. It says, when they came, this is Samuel, he looked on Elab, which is the oldest son, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. So he looked at the first son. He was the oldest son. That's the way you do it. You go through the sons, the oldest son. He looked like a king. He would have been taught. He would have had presence about him. He would have looked like somebody that the army would follow, would the politicians follow, would the people. He, surely, God, you've made a good choice this time. This guy looks like a king. He must be the next king. Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. See, that's, this is why I'm reading. That gives me a bit of hope here, hey? Because I have rejected him. Yes, you've rejected all tall people. I get that, Jesus. No, that's a joke. That's not true. Not true at all. Please forgive me. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, isn't that so a great leveler? Is it, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter the clothes you wear. It doesn't matter the color of your hair or the color of your skin. It doesn't matter if, if, if you look like you've got presence and authority about you. It, it doesn't matter about your qualifications. It, God looks at your heart. God's looking people with the right motives, with the right heart. He looks at the heart. He looks at what's inside of you. But man looks at the outside, but God looks at the inside of who you are. Your heart gets God's attention. See, where's your heart at today? Where's your heart? Just like, where's your heart at? Is your heart humble? Is your heart teachable? Or is your heart prideful? Is your heart bitter? Is your heart just angry? I've been there. You know, you just feel angry. My heart's angry right now. Is your heart angry all the time? Where's, where's your heart at? You know, the Bible says that God takes the humble and he rises them up, but he takes the proud and he brings them down. Is your heart, you know, I've seen, you know, hear stories of CEOs of big corporations in the US and they go to church and in church, it's the great leveler. In church, there's, there's no high and like we're, we're all the same in God's kingdom and, and they'll be cleaning toilets. There's no job below them. I look at that and I mean, that's a humble CEO. You know, that's, that's the heart we've God wants. He, he wants people that our job isn't beneath them. There's no job beneath us in God's house. No job beneath me. Today, I want to say your heart is like a fireplace. Your heart is like the fireplace of your body, your soul, your being. You know, in, in winter here, we have our fireplaces in our homes and we, we get them, fan them going and timber on them and, and they bring warmth and they bring environment and, and they bring a place where we can talk with people and they create atmosphere. But how's your heart affecting the atmosphere of who you are? Like, where's your heart at? And I want to encourage you to put the right timber, the right fuel into your heart. So we can fill our heart with all kinds of stuff. You know, if you throw a lot of paper on the fire, it's just a lot of smoke. It's not pleasant, is it? You can throw some plastics, done that now and then, a bit of plastics, a few plastic bottles, and it stinks of chemicals. You know, what, what is, is affecting your heart? Maybe you just need to change the diet of your heart. See, different logs can, to, can, can help the, the fire burn. See, are we putting a log of worship on our heart? Like, do we purposely come late to church because we don't want to worship? 
because by worshipping, I'm actually being vulnerable with God and I'm opening myself up and I might have to show emotion. I'll listen to the preaching because I can just be a spectator. Are you, are you putting a log of worship where you're opening your soul to God and you're just giving him thanks for what he's doing? You know, do you read your Bible? Are you opening your Bible once a week, at least once a week, or, or each day and reading half a chapter? Put another log on the fire, another log on the fire. Are you talking to him just in prayer? That's another log in the fire. Are you putting the right logs on the fire of your heart? What are you you planting into your heart? Because the more logs you put on, the bigger the fire will burn. And the more the fire burns, the more it becomes from internal to external. And it will affect the world around you. The more the fire burns, the more deeper the relationship you can build with your creator. Out of relationship, my next point, is your passion is fueled. Out of relationship. With Christ, with Jesus, pledging allegiance, passion is fueled in our lives. And it says here um, in the Bible, 1 Samuel 16, verse 11. We can put that up. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? He went through the seven sons, all the sons. God said, none of these sons are chosen. He's like, don't make a mistake. I've come all this way. There's a big deal here. If I missed it, you bring all your sons, surely, because this is a big event. And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Interesting. Samuel said, bring all your sons. Jesse didn't bring all his sons. The prophet was feared. The the prophet was a big deal. He purposely didn't bring David. See, Jewish tradition says that David was a result of an affair. Jewish tradition says that his mother had an affair. That's tradition. We don't know if it's fact, but there's a scripture where, where David says, I was born through my mother's sin. There's a, there's, a, there's a psalm about that. And so it's believed after she had seven sons, she had a, an affair with another man, and David was born out of that. See, in that culture in that day, that was, that was bad. You know, that was a bad thing in that culture. And so David was a son of shame. He was a son of rejection. They don't want to bring David out at this big event of honor. That's what the son. That's my shame. I, I don't, that's embarrassing. It's like you know the relative that you don't want to invite to Christmas. Like it's going to be embarrassing. I'm not bringing. We're not going to expose our dirty laundry before Samuel. We're not going to expose that. He he can stay up there because we don't even count him as a son. He's he, the brothers. He's a he's a half brother. And so there's this stigma over David. Can you imagine him living like that with a shame over himself that he's not accepted by his family? And so David's out in the field. He's looking after the sheep. We know that David was a musician. And so I can picture David out at night on the fields just worshipping God. See, God chose him because he said, I'm going to choose a man after my own heart. See, David was out in the fields playing his music. And I can picture him singing, looking at the stars, I can see him putting the log on his fire of worship. I can see him talking to God. You know what? He had no friends. Like when you're rejected like that, there's a stigma in the whole village for him. He's the son of that. David would have been very lonely, very isolated. His only friend was the creator of the universe. His only friend was his heavenly father. You know, if you're going to choose at least one friend, you want that friend to be the father of the lights, the father of hope, the father that can make a way where there is no way. He decided to put his hope in one best friend that he would talk to at night as he was watching the sheep, as he felt the shame 
and the rejection of his family and his community. But there was one that he wanted to put his trust in and he would worship him and he would read his word and he would spend time putting logs on the, on, on the heart, building that fuel within him. Then the prophet says, go bring me this son. And as he walks in the room, God says to Samuel, he's the one, choose him. And he anoints him and says, you will be the next king of Israel. What a picture of a God. Of a, if you want to know the heart of heaven, is God chooses the downtrodden, the broken, the rejected of this world. He hears the cry and prayers of your heart that nobody else hears, nobody else knows. But he knows on the backside of the desert, David was prepared in isolation. And God took him from the sheepfold to make him the king of all Israel. Became one of the powerfulest, mightiest kings that Israel had ever seen. As a result of this passion of David having this connection with his God, passion came outwardly. It says in 1 Samuel 17, 26, David goes out to this battle. Philistines on one side, Israelites on the other. He's, not, he's only a young man. Father says, hey, go and take some bread and wine and cheeses to your brothers. And check out what's happening at the battle. He gets there. He sees this 12-foot tall Goliath giant, you know, screaming out fire and brimstone. And, and this is what David says. He says, you, just listen to the passion. He says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you know, this, this is a young man, there's a fire in his belly, there's a passion. That passion came from spending relationship and an encounter with the living God. It fueled something in him that just overwhelmed out of him who he was. See, passion is great. Passion can direct us, it can motivate us, it can cause us to, to keep going. You know, passion will get you through storms. Passion and motivation will get you through difficult circumstances in your life. But passion needs direction. Passion needs guidance. See, if you've just got raw passion and no guidance, you can hurt a lot of people. You can crush a lot of people getting to where you want to go. You know, rockets are like passion, aren't they? There's power. But rockets have a guidance system. If they didn't have a guidance system, they, could, they would hit the wrong target. They could destroy the city that it wasn't supposed to destroy it or hit the target it wasn't supposed to hit, could hit civilians when it wasn't supposed to. And see, your life and my life is, is like that. If we've just got passion... We don't have God's guidance. We could be heading in the wrong direction, in the opposite direction. And we can hurt so many people along the way that shouldn't have been hurt. So what is our guidance system? Well, one, we have God's word, the Bible. As we read it, it can tell us what we should do in a circumstance. So if you think, I'm going to go do this and this and this, well, what does the Bible say? Well, it says the opposite. Well, okay, my trajectory is wrong for a start. We also have Holy Spirit, the Bible says living side of us when we give our life to him so okay what do i what, what do i feel the spirit saying to me sometimes i hear people saying god told me to go do this maybe he did but does that align with his word yeah. so you've got this twofold thing but then you have a third fold thing have you gone and got some counsel from somebody that you, you respect do you have a mentor like getting people's opinions and and hearing their thoughts on something can also be we can have this triple kind of thing well okay everyone's telling me no everybody the Bible says I shouldn't do it. Well, there's a good guidance system that you shouldn't do it. But sometimes it gets difficult choosing directions and stuff. But we, we, we listen to uh, an array of counselors, the Bible says, and get some guidance. Does it line up with the word? Does it line up with what I'm feeling in my spirit? All three? Yeah, that, okay, that's a pretty good green light that you're heading in the right direction. So make sure you're seeking God's guidance system for where you're going. Out of our relationship, next point, you have victory against the odds. Out of relationship. 
See, in the Bible, we see David attracted favor on his life. He attracted this favor of God in whatever he kind of faced. You know, he would go into battles. He's a big Goliath for a start. He defeated this enemy that he should not have defeated. And then he, as he got older and he had his own army, he would go to battles against these enemies that were five times bigger than his army. But God's guidance system said, Go. And he just followed God's guidance system. He didn't take on things that he shouldn't have taken on. He took on what God's guidance system said. So he took on these armies. And then God would bring thunderstorms and lightning storms, which would cause the enemy to be defeated. He'd go into other battles where God would say through his guidance system, hey, go through the trees. Your army go through the trees. So he'd go through the forest. And God would cause the wind to blow. And the sound of the trees sounded like his army was ten times the size. And the enemy would flee when they got out of the forest. They were gone. There was, there was times where, where God brought victory because of supernatural strength. He, there's stories of David's warriors, like one guy killing a thousand people. And you go, really? Really? But there's instances where his army had this supernatural strength. It, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 30, 31. This is David saying this in a song. He said, talking about God. For by you, I can run against a troop. Saying, by you, as one, I can run against a troop of many. By you. And my God, I can leap over a wall. I can jump over a wall that I shouldn't be able to jump over. This God, his way is perfect. This God, his guidance system is the right way, is what he's saying. The word of the Lord proves true. His guidance system is true. He is a shield for all those that take refuge in him. So David knew that his power and his victory wasn't based in the size of his army or the weapons he had or his qualifications or, or, or his family and ancestry or his background, but he knew that whatever he was lacking in, God could fill the shortfall. His trust was in God above everything around him. He went to so many battles that he shouldn't have won. Whatever you might be facing today, you know, greater are they that are for you than are they that are against you. You know, even though the odds might say you can't win this, but if your guidance system of God is saying, take it on, walk through it, man, his favor is on your life. He can make a way for you where there is no way. He can cause the victory when we can't cause it. Lastly, out of relationship springs destiny. Out of the relationship with Jesus springs your destiny. It all comes out of pledging allegiance to his kingdom and to his kingship and making him Lord of your life. We look back over David's life, comes this amazing king. He forms Jerusalem. He's the one that made Jerusalem the capital of Israel, even today. He's the one that said this will be the capital. And in his day, Jerusalem was a place of incredible safety, security. It says righteousness reigned in the land. Judgments were true. They weren't false. It wasn't bribery. See, under a righteous king, the people prosper. Under his righteous rule, the nation prospered. He had victory against odds that he shouldn't have had. You know, pretty cool thing is, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is called the son of David. Can you, what an honor that God himself who came to earth, the Christ, the Messiah, is called the son of David. Man, how much favor. Just remember, here's a little boy out in the field rejected. Shame over his life. They didn't want to bring him out because he was that, that's an embarrassment. It's like Harry Potter. Remember Harry Potter's under the stairs sleeping and the family that he was with didn't respect him. You know, David's the one, we're not bringing him out. He's, 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 that's just, we're embarrassed, we're ashamed of what's happened. But God took this guy's life, made him the king. Names his Christ Messiah after him. I mean, if he did it for David's life, what can he do with your life? 
And it's not about you or me or what we have or don't have. It's about building relationship with the king of the earth, Jesus. What we have to do is we have to just give him permission and open our heart. The fireplace of our heart and, and start to put logs. Put the right logs on your fire of your heart. Put the logs of reading his word. Just a bit each day. Just a little bit. Don't do it crazy. Talk to him. Don't have to spend three hours praying. Just what, what works for you. Worship him. Put, put some music on. Come to church early and work. put these good logs onto the fire of your heart and see what happens. See that a new passion, a new zest for life could come into your world that could just flow out of you. But you've got to follow God's guidance system so your passion isn't amiss. If the music people could come up, thank you. And as I start to conclude, God wants your life to be fully lit. He wants your life, to be, your life to be a light, like a city on a hill. How can your life be fully lit? It's got to start on the inside. It starts from the fireplace of your heart being in the right environment, in the right place, and putting the right logs on that fire. That's something we all can do. We can all just pick a Bible up and start reading. We can all just talk to him. Young David. All it started with was a young guy feeling rejected out in the hills on his own with no friends, just reaching out to the Christ, the King, the, the kingdom of heaven, and God saw from above. But today we're, we're here and we're, we're celebrating every individual nation and culture that's here that, that reflects the, the amazing glory of God. But just remember, we are all one. When we give our life to Christ and pledge allegiance to Him, we are the kingdom of God. We are His people and He is our King. Common denominator is Jesus makes us one in Him. His kingdom, what's His kingdom's will for you? It's for the passion that He's put in you to flow out, whatever that might be for you. What, 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 what's a passion? That he can, if you don't have one, He can give you a passion. You know, what, what has He created you for? What's the calling? What are the things that you naturally enjoy? He wants the passion to flow out of you. He wants the giftings that are on you to shine, to radiate into the community like prisms of, of, of light shining through each of us and the different edges of the prism that do the different colors. We're all like that. We're, we're one kingdom, one prism, and His one light shines through. But depending on the angle the light shines through you and, and the cut of what angle or side of the prism you are, the different light will shine out and do the thing that God destined it to do. Put the right logs on your fire. Let the passion build. Let the passion build. I'm going to finish with Matthew 5, 14 to 16. God's will for you is you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot and should not be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket. God has not called you. He has not chosen you. He has not had you born on this earth that you would be hidden in the ground, that you would be hidden under a basket. He wants your life out, exposed, shining, making a difference in your community and your family and, and your world. You were never built to be a mushroom. You were built to be a light that brings glory to your God. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If we could just stand today, just quietly stand and keep in this atmosphere. I'm just going to pray over, over us as a church and you as an individual. And if you could, you feel comfortable, just put your hands to the side and, and just, just look to Him. Just close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I pray for every single person, Lord.
every David that might be in this room, Father, every person that's felt rejected, Father, every person that has felt lonely, Father, and abandoned and, and not accepted, Father. I pray for every person in this room, my God, that you from heaven above, you see into their soul, you hear the cries of their heart, my God. And I pray as they submit and surrender their life to you, my God, that you would make a difference, you would bring change, you would bring growth, you would bring breakthrough to for, for people, Father. You would make a way for people where there is no way, Father. You would do the impossible, the things we can't do, Father. You would cause people to look back on their lives at the end of their days on this earth and go, oh my goodness, look what God did with me because I laid my heart before Him. And we pray for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's put our hands together for God. Thank you for listening to this message. To stay in touch with Encounter, follow us on Instagram at encounter.cc or find us on Facebook at encounter.shepherdon.